0: of kind of the backdrop of uh, China and what we do there. And then I'm going to tell a couple of stories and then hopefully uh, maybe wind into the theme of joy that we've had. Uh, I was just uh, joking with Pastor Lisa this morning that I think my American logical three-point sermon style has kind of morphed into that uh, Chinese bag of cats that I've had for the last two years. So hopefully some of it will be understandable. Um, Yeah, So, let's get into it. Uh, Before I can start, I need to give you a little bit of background on the Chinese culture that kind of influences everything we do. Uh, You'd have seen from the video that we have kind of three major areas. There's the work that we do with the church, uh, there's our compassion ministries, and then there's our campus ministries. Um, To understand China's culture and and backdrop with the church, you need to know a little bit of uh, Chinese recent history. Um, for For thousands of years, China was ruled by these imperial dynasties uh, until about one hundred years ago when the last emperor was overthrown and they replaced their government with more of a republic. Um, that lasted about thirty years, and then there was a civil war in which the Communist Party of the Republic, led by Mao Zedong, uh, took over the country after ten years and uh, millions of death millions of deaths. Um, After about 20 years in power, uh, Chairman Mao launched a second war called the Cultural Revolution in which he purged the Communist Party and the country of anybody who opposed or questioned his rule and basically turned China into a military dictatorship. Um, The result of that, that was 50 years ago, is that in modern day China, the Communist Party has absolute control. Um, The Chinese people aren't allowed to vote for their leaders. Uh, The the party chooses its president, currently President Xi, and he's president for life. The, the party has a lot of this uh, dirty laundry and, and often bloody laundry that they don't want the people to know about. And so China has a uh, censorship of information. If you're in China and you go onto the internet, uh, you can't access Google or Facebook or anything where you could get access to Western information. Uh, so China has complete control over the, the information that its people has access to. And so they tell kind of a... Uh, uh, alternative version of history in which Mao Zedong is this uh, revolutionary hero. Um, so you're in the college campuses, and you get students who will stand up and they will tell you, "I want to grow, I want to grow up to be like Chairman Mao." And to a Westerner, that's like, <laughs> but. <laughs> um. So this uh, it kind of influences the the culture's response to Christianity because the Communist Party views the Christian church as a vehicle for Western ideologies to come in and turn its people against communism. So at first, what they wanted to do was, was get the church out of China. And so there was heavy persecution. And what they found out was that the church actually grows under persecution. So it was interesting. The, the Communist Party kind of discovered that they couldn't stomp out the church. The more they tried, the more it grew. So they adopted this new strategy recently where they try to water down the church. So Christianity is now legal in China, but your church has to be government-registered and it has to preach kind of the communist-approved gospel, which is not really the gospel. But the church that we work with, it's it's unique in a couple of ways. Our pastor, Pastor Chuen, he was actually a member of the Communist Party before coming to Christ. And he's still a member of the Communist Party. So when he started his church and registered, he he told the the Communist Party, I want to preach the whole gospel. And they actually gave him permission, uh, sort of as an experiment to see what he would do with it, because they trusted him. And so as a result, we're partnering with this government-registered church that's able to preach the whole gospel. And every church that it plants uh, shares that permission to preach the whole gospel. And so we're really excited to partner with this church. We're doing a lot of, uh, of work with their ministries and their outreach and discipleship and leader de- leadership development to grow this network of churches that's allowed to preach the whole gospel. Because our hope is that eventually the government might look at this and realize that Christianity is not trying to topple the government and, and they'll hopefully soften their stance towards the church um the other thing was our compassion ministry now there are a pair of things that you need to know about chinese culture to understand our compassion ministry our compassion ministry is focused on the orphan crisis in china right now and this stems from two uh kind of problems uh the first you probably heard about is china's one child policy uh... that's where to control overpopulation chinese parents are only allowed to have one child and after that they have to have a state mandated abortion on any further children that's actually changed slightly recently this is very new where now it's the one and two child policy where if you and your spouse are both the one child you're now allowed to have two children but if you're one of the two children you're only allowed to have one so it kind of goes back and forth one and two uh... the other cultural thing Kind of feeding into the orphan crisis is a little more subtle, and it has to do with China's economy, where uh, Chinese adults will typically work 12 hours a day, six days a week, often more, and their, their economy's not quite to American standards, so that's enough for them to get by, but it's not really enough for them to save. And so Chinese adults, they don't save money, and they don't save for retirement. Uh, in China, in the culture, your child is your retirement fund. Uh, so hopefully you have a son and he gets amazing grades and gets a really good job and then he supports you when you're old. Um, if you have a daughter, hopefully she finds that guy and marries him and he makes enough money to support both you and his parents. Um, the problem, there's actually a lot of problems with that, but one of the problems that we're concerned with is if you can only have one child and your child is your retirement, what happens when you have a disabled child? That child can never support you, and you can't have another child. So the Chinese solution to that is you abandon that child, and you pretend that you had a miscarriage, and you have another child. And so the Chinese orphanages are overflowing with disabled children. Um... And they will be found on the side of the roads or in dumpsters. Um, You saw uh, Ryan and Ava, they serve on our team. They've adopted a Chinese son. His name is uh, Daza. And he has a form of Down syndrome. He was found in a dumpster outside of a gas station. And that's not uncommon. So our compassion ministry is twofold. Is first, we wanna care for those children. And second, We want to teach the Chinese people to care for those children. Um, China currently has an orphanage system, which isn't the best, because you get a a huge amount of children in a little space, and they're not all getting the attention that they need for their different disabilities. So we're helping to make this uh, foster program and encourage Chinese people to take care of, of these kids so that they can grow up in a loving family. And we're hoping that the more we do this, the more we'll see uh, the Chinese church and the Chinese people getting involved in sort of this culture shift in how they look at these orphans, because with all the state-mandated abortion, there's really a culture in China right now that doesn't value life. And the last area, and this is my main focus, is on the campuses. Uh, This is where we do most of our evangelism and discipleship. And we try to follow uh, the Jesus model of discipleship, where Jesus didn't take the 12 disciples and put them in a classroom and and teach them out of the book and then go and do his ministry in his downtime. Like, the disciples were following him around and were actively involved in the ministry that he was doing. And so we try to do that with the students. So if I'm teaching a group of students and witnessing to them, I will invite them to come along with me to the orphanage and, and serve these kids. And it does some really cool things because now they're seeing the gospel being lived out in addition to having it preached to them, and they're a part of it. And then we get these cool stories where the, the students will come back to the campus and they'll start talking about what they saw there. And like I can think of one uh, student that I, I work with. Uh, his name is Franklin. He came to one of our events and he's working with these disabled kids and he went back to his class in, and in Chinese he's standing up and he's saying like, I noticed that there's something missing in the Chinese heart towards these kids. And I I, I just, I went there, and all of the kids are being taken care of by foreigners. Why aren't we doing this? And he's not even a believer yet. I have a lot of hope for him. But he's here teaching his class that we need to get involved and take care of these kids. And that's exactly what we hope to see. So all of that's kind of the backdrop of what I came into uh, two years ago, and that's kind of where my story starts. Um, When you first arrive overseas and you don't know the language, and Mandarin's really hard, by the way. I'm still not very good at it. Uh, They kind of tell you to take the first couple months and, and don't really do any ministry. Focus on learning the language. Now, I'm kind of restless. So I got over there and I'm like, but I'm over here. I want to do something. So I went to my team leader, and I'm like, what, can, what do you got that I can get involved in right now? And he thinks about it, and he says, well, we do have this kid. He's in the foster program, and he's disabled. He's in a wheelchair. He's got cerebral palsy. He's six years old, and he's really smart, and we're hoping that he can learn English because we want to get him adopted overseas because in China they don't educate disabled children. And so he said, can you teach this kid English? And I said, absolutely. I have no idea how to teach English, but I'll do it. And that's how I met Wu Bao. And Wu Bao, I I fell in love with this kid really quickly because he is one of the most intelligent six-year-olds I've ever met. He's a hard-working six-year-old, which I didn't know could happen. And he's a selfless six-year-old, which I also didn't know could happen. But it was really hard at first because one, I've never really taught anything before in this way. I've never taught English before, definitely. I've never taught English to someone that I had no language ability to communicate with at all because he didn't speak English and I didn't speak Chinese and his foster mother also did not speak English. And he's still got all of the energy of a six-year-old boy bottled up in a wheelchair. (laughs) So... Uh, Wu Bao and his foster parents—they're—they're they're kind of far away from where I am. So I would take a subway every Tuesday for maybe an hour, and I'd go and I'd meet them at a restaurant that's halfway between us. So we're—we're we're doing this in a public place, which—which which kind of adds another layer of stress for me in the beginning because there's this thing in China where they don't get a lot of foreigners, and there's a lot of interest in English because it is kind of the ambition of every Chinese parent that you teach your child English and then they go to school in America. That's a mark of high status in Chinese culture. Like, if you can send your child to America, you're the big dog. And so people will come into this public restaurant and they see an American teaching a Chinese kid and usually um, an American, a native speaker, we can charge an arm and a leg for this if we do it for profit because even even the Chinese English speakers can charge maybe 100 bucks an hour if they're teaching someone one-on-one. But I'm a native speaker, which is really cool for them. So they see me teaching this kid in a wheelchair who's usually not disabled at all, or who's usually not educated at all. And I'll get like 12 Chinese people gathered around our table watching me teach wubao, and they're all chatting with each other in a language I can't understand, and chatting with Wu, Wu mother in a language that I can't understand. And I'm new at this, and every time I try to teach Wu Bao something, he's giving me this look like, I don't have any idea what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> and so as this goes on in my mind, I'm imagining that all these people crowded around our table are like, this foreigner's really bad. <laughs> And I'm imagining they're talking to Wu Bao's mother and like in my mind I'm I'm thinking she's probably telling him like, yeah, he's awful, but he's the best we can get and he's free. <laughs> so it wasn't until after a month that I, I met with Ava. She's the person in, in kind of in charge of the foster family thing on our team. And and she had just met with Wu Bao's mother earlier that day. So I kind of walk into this like preparing to hear from Ava how to improve my teaching. And what she actually says is, "Wow, Wu Bao's mother is so excited because these people are walking up to your table and saying, "Wow, you have an American tutor. How much does he charge?" And, and Wu Bao's foster mother, I didn't know this. she's a believer. And time they come up and ask her this, she says... He doesn't charge. He does it for free because Bao is made in the image of God and this foreigner loves Jesus. And then she starts sharing the gospel with them. So all of these conversations that have been happening around our table are actually dozens of people that I can't communicate two words with at this time. And they're hearing the gospel because God is just using this little thing that I was doing to advance his kingdom in crazy ways. And that's still one of my favorite stories to tell because it just shows that, like, God can use you even if you don't have a clue what you're doing. <laughs> uh. oh, almost dropped it. So eventually I did learn the language. Well, a little bit. More importantly, I started meeting people who knew my language. And so one of those uh, was a student named Charlie. Charlie. Uh, His English name is Charlie. His Chinese name is hard to pronounce. Um, He became the first person that I got to share the gospel with in China. And it's kind of funny how it happened uh, because he is a philosophy student. And so if you know me, I'm a really big geek. And so from the time that I was pretty young, I like to read like seminary level theology and philosophy textbooks for fun. Like, my idea of a fun Friday night when I was a kid was, like, watching video debates between Christian philosophers like Dr. William Lane Craig and atheists like Christopher Hitchens. And I'd be there, like, pausing the video anytime that Christopher Hitchens spoke and try to, like, give my own rebuttal and see how it matched up with Dr. Craig's. So, I'm a really big geek, and I get into that stuff. So, Charlie, he's got this great English, and he says he's a philosophy student, and immediately I'm like, oh, yeah let's you and I get some coffee. Slam dunk. And so we spent, like, the next three hours uh, over coffee. I'm sharing with them every apologetics argument that I've ever heard. If you're not familiar, apologetics is, like, using logic and, and reason and science and history to present a case for the gospel. And so we're getting into, like, the Kalam cosmological argument and the teleological argument, and we're talking about, like, objective versus relative morality, and I'm, like, jazzing in the zone, because this is the stuff that I get really excited about. And by the end of it, I'm like, so what do you think? Like, would you be interested in studying the Bible together? And he goes, uh, I mean, it's interesting. I've never heard any of this stuff before. I'm not really convinced by it. And I'm kind of like deflated. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Well, can I pray for you before we we go our separate ways? And he says, sure. And I pray for him. And next week, I run into him again. And he says, Eric, I I was thinking about it. And I think there might be something to this. I want to study the Bible with you. And I'm like, yes. Which argument was it that did it for you? And and he's like, Oh none of that nonsense. I'm like But he says Actually it was the way you prayed for me He says you didn't memorize that prayer did you? Like I can tell when you prayed that you actually cared about me and you talk to God like you know him and that makes me think that there's something to this. I'm like Just a prayer? about all the cool stuff, but but prayer is cool. Okay. So that was, uh, that was the first time that something like that happened, but it wasn't the last. Um, I remember we, we like to do these big events every time there's a holiday because holidays are great uh, because they know about the American holidays, but they don't know what the American holidays are about. So we go up to people and we're like, you heard of Easter? And they're like, yeah, I think so. I'm like, you want to know what Easter's about? We're going to have an Easter party. Come hear the gospel. And so we, we get a group of Chinese students over to our apartment. We throw a big Easter party and like we brought in this guy who's this awesome speaker and he's sharing the Easter story and he's breaking down the theology and he's giving people the gospel. And I'm like, this is great. And I go and I talk to one of these guys after and he just got off of work and he's like, you know, I came in here really, really tired and I'm not now. And I asked him like, well, what did you think? And he's like, well, I didn't really understand anything that guy was saying because it was all in English. Like, he's like, when we were singing the worship songs, I felt something inside of me that like, I was tired and I'm not now and I just feel this peace. And he asked me, is this what the Holy Spirit feels like? And I'm like, Worship. And maybe you're starting to see the theme now, because I am. It's like the fancy things that we think we're going to do with the, the preaching and the theology, it's like on our strength, didn't do nothing. But a simple prayer and worship, God is moving. And he's multiplying these seeds like crazy. So I've got one more story for you. And and this was at Christmas, the last Christmas actually. And there's this uh, this thing we like to do with the foster families, where we throw this big Christmas event, and the foster parents get to come up, and they talk about all the things that God is doing, and they just share their their testimonies and how God is helping them with these kids, and and we use part of the money that we fundraise to buy the kids. Christmas presents, because often the foster families can't afford it, and I dress up as Santa Claus, and I'm passing out the presents, and the kids come and sit on my lap, and the parents are really excited, because they get to have this novel picture of their kids with white Santa, and, and I had this uh, God moment after, where I'm sitting in the back, and, and Santa's beard is off, because it's itchy, and and I'm really kind of tired because I love kids, but they kind of tucker me out after a while. And I'm just kind of watching. And I see this little girl. She's about five. And like the rest of them, she's an orphan. Uh, she's got this kind of uh, disfigurement where there's a big lump on the side of her head. And, and of course, her birth parents took one look at that and they abandoned her. And she doesn't have any sense that she's different right now. She's opening this Christmas present. And her little face is just radiant with joy. And in that moment, she's completely beautiful. And I look at her, and I kind of look up around the room, and I see all these foster parents. And there's bags under every eye. Like, these guys have a hard job. It's tiring. And none of them care right now because they're all so happy watching their foster kids having a Christmas and unwrapping these presents, and they're laughing and taking pictures. And I have this moment where I realize that I'm seeing something that I've read about. And this is what selfless service looks like. This is a face of God where I'm seeing that God is the one who provides parents for orphans, He's the one who mends these broken families together, and I'm, I'm going further with this in my head. He's the one who heals the sick, and he frees addicts from their chains, and he forgives us for our sins. And I'm just experiencing this moment where I see the love of God playing out in front of me. And so we were going to have a second Christmas party that night, and I was supposed to speak for the students, and I'm going to go through the Christmas story and. I'm going to be explaining. I'm trying to figure out how, to, how do I communicate to these students why we love Jesus so much. And after I got back from the orphan Christmas party, I just threw away all the stuff that I'd been working on. And when we got the students there, I just told them that story of that little girl and what God did for her. And I just tried to give them this, the same sense that I had of, of the God of love who does these things. And I can see Chinese students who are usually looking at me like with that same Wu Bao look, like I have no idea what that guy's saying. And now there's tears in their eyes. As for the first time, so many of these kids, they understand the love of God. And it wasn't any uh, fancy theology on my part. Uh, Lord knows it wasn't any of my public speaking skills. You didn't have to laugh that hard at that. But it was just this, the power of this simple testimony of something that God did. And, and that's where it's at. It's like, as I'm telling these stories and I'm reflecting on them, the common theme I notice is how easy it was in a certain way. Like, I didn't have to have any skills to do any of this. It's the simple things that any Christian can do, like prayer and worship and sharing a testimony that had all of the power over there. And so as I'm thinking about all of these and trying to figure out how to tie it back into this theme of joy, I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. And our, our pastor in China, Pastor Chuen, he's got this really unique teaching style. It's really kind of fun. And he starts out, uh, he'll, he'll put his hands like this and he's got this thing where he just shouts, he's like, "What is this gift of peace?" or whatever he is he's talking about that day, And that's kind of how he opens up this sermon, and he starts talking about that. What is this gift of peace?" And he starts explaining it from the scriptures. And it's I was going to try to say it in Chinese, but my Chinese just left the building. So I'm not going to do that. And he's got this point halfway through his sermon, where he kind of does it again, but slightly different. And like when I'm first learning Chinese, these are the only two parts of the sermon that I can understand. So I kind of get excited for it and I'm waiting for it to come. And he starts explaining the gift of peace and he gets you all like ramped up and like wanting to experience this. And then he says, but how do I receive this gift of peace? And he just shouts it like that. and It's always fun. But I've kind of grown to appreciate that teaching style because I'm, I'm a question asker. So for me... If I'm sitting in, in the church, and, and maybe it's, uh, it's the steam of joy that we're going through. And the pastor's up here, and we're talking about joy. And we're talking about how great this, this promise of joy is that you receive from the Lord. And maybe I'm in the chairs, and I'm like, after a while, I'm kind of asking the question in my head, but like, I don't feel joyful. And then I'm kind of looking around, and I'm like, everybody else looks kind of joyful. Why don't I feel joyful? And then it comes, there's a thought that pops into my head like, uh-oh. Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with my walk with Christ that I'm not feeling joyful and the pastor says that there's this promise that I'm supposed to feel joyful? Now I'm scared. And, and then the other thought comes like, what if they look at me and they can see that I'm not feeling joyful? And then they're going to judge me. They're going to be like, this guy's a terrible Christian. He's not joyful. So I'd better like, put on this mask of joy. I'm going to pretend to be joyful. I'm like, hey, I'm feeling the joy of Christ tonight. How are you doing? But then, now I feel even worse, because one, I'm not feeling joyful. Two, I'm feeling kind of judged. Three, I feel like a big phony, because now I'm acting joyful and I'm not. And, and there's this Chinese phrase, and this one I can say, maban. what's to be done about this? And this is where it's really fun when Pastor Chuen comes up and he shouts, but how do I receive this gift of joy? And so I've grown to appreciate that. And I, I want to, I mean, Pastor Chuen couldn't be here this morning, but I can take a swing at it. My experience has been that I, I encounter joy in service. And now, that wasn't the experience for the first time quite a few years of my Christian walk. Uh, My story as as a missionary began nine years ago when I went to this conference and I listened to the speaker, David Platt, maybe you've heard of him. You listen to David Platt. I was just joking with Pastor Lisa this morning. It's like receiving a spiritual kick in the teeth. Uh, He is like a mallet between the eyes. He's given this talk at this conference about what it means to follow Jesus. And for the first time, he's making it real clear to me that when Jesus says in Mark 8, take up your cross and follow me, that actually applies to me. Like Jesus says, believe in me and follow me. And believing something you do in your heart, but following is an action. And back in those days, I had a lot of belief I didn't have a lot of follow. And so this, this challenged me. But we have to be very careful talking about that. And often even in the church we're hesitant because there's a trap there. There's a danger. There's a very seductive lie that we like to believe and it's called works-based salvation where there's a, a part of us where we almost want to believe that God requires us to do good deeds to get into heaven because on some level, that's almost easier than being a genuine spiritual person. And so we, we talk about that, we warn about that danger in the church, and, and we recognize that. But in doing that, um, there's, there's a ditch on both sides of the road and, and sometimes when you veer too far away from one, you're in danger of falling into the other. And so on the right, we've got this ditch of, of works-based salvation. And over here on the left, we have the other ditch, which is faith without deeds. And I would say that for the first many years of my Christian walk, I was living in that ditch. And so I want to, uh, I want to read quickly from James chapter 2, 14 through 24. If you have your, oh, hey, it's up there. If you have your Bibles, turn turn to me with that in your Bibles or read it on the screen. James 2, 14 through 24. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, How can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. If you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. So faith without deeds is dead. I would say that's right about where I was for most of my Christian life. And now again, those deeds don't save you. That's workspace salvation. But a faith that's healthy is producing a change in your actions. If your faith isn't transforming your actions, then your faith isn't transforming your heart. And if your faith isn't transforming your heart, it's no wonder that I'm not feeling joy. So for me, that's why I come back to this joy in, in service. Because when I'm serving, I'm not doing it out of, out of some me thing, but it's the faith in Christ transforming my actions. And that means that it's transforming my heart and producing this joy. So to receive this gift of joy, we need to follow Jesus. Uh, actually follow him with our actions as well as our hearts. And that looks different for each of us because we all have different callings. Uh, For me, it was to go overseas and do missions work and be an evangelist and a discipler, and that's where I'm at. Uh, But for most of us, uh, it's probably something more local. Maybe it's being involved in the Sunday school or in worship or some other form of local ministry. But there's a pitfall here because many of us will tell ourselves that we're not qualified to serve. But that's why I shared all those stories just now. Because you you don't have to have any of that fancy book learning, as they say in my family, to be able to pray with someone, like, like I prayed with Charlie. And maybe for you, it's inviting someone to listen to a worship song. Or maybe it's just sharing a testimony with someone or, or coming alongside a young person and mentoring them or, or maybe it's uh, supporting your favorite uh, local missionary to China financially. Hey, I, just, I had to sneak that one in there. But the point is, you don't have to have any special skills to invest in God's kingdom. Um, he will use any small investment that you give him And he will multiply it 100-fold. And when he does that, that's joy. And that's where all the joy is for me. When I, daily now, I still receive messages on my phone from Charlie. And he's asking me Bible questions because he can't put it down anymore. That's joy for me. When I think of my Chinese friends, uh, Liana and Lillian, they both went through this journey where they had so much doubt in their faith. And now they're out on their campuses sharing the gospel with anyone they can find because God is lighting them on fire. Hearing about that, that's joy for me. When I think about those students who, after seeing... God's love through the testimony of that five-year-old little girl. And now they want to be involved in, in transforming the culture through reaching out to these orphans. Or when I think of uh, this church that we just helped plant a couple weeks before I left, that's now able to preach the whole gospel right next to the campus, despite the government crackdowns, all of that is inexpressible joy to me. That's the, the joy that comes with serving alongside the Spirit. And my prayer for, for everyone is that we, we get to taste that joy through service.